Thank you for listening to the podcast of Palmetto Baptist Church. We pray that as you listen to the following message, that it will encourage you to continue to connect, grow, and serve in your relationship with God and with others. I want to invite you to open your Bibles to the Gospel of Luke chapter 10. The Gospel of Luke chapter 10. The Gospel of Luke chapter 10. We'll begin reading momentarily with verse 25 of Luke chapter 10. The title of this message is Routing Your Routine. Routing Your Routine. Do you have a routine that you uh, follow uh, every day? Uh, You get up and there's just a certain way you do things and you you almost, uh, without exception, will follow that routine uh, to the hilt. A certain time you get up, maybe, and then uh, I know my routine, I'll I'll get up, I'll immediately go and get a huge mug of coffee and (laughs) breakfast, uh, which for me is normally oatmeal and bananas, and when I finish that, I'll go and I'll I'll read the news on Google News and uh, several different newspapers, I'll read the news for about an hour, hour and a half, and I will... Uh, respond to emails, and um, there's just a certain routine that many of us have. Uh, you go to work, and there's a certain routine by which you do what you do. Uh, you've probably noticed uh, that most of my sermons have a certain pattern, a certain routine to them. That can be not so good, or it can be good, depending on uh, the person who I guess is uh, hearing them. Our worship is normally of a certain routine, certain pattern. Uh, We don't always stick to that pattern, but at the base there is this pattern. We remember we're in a series called Starting from Scratch. We began this the first Sunday in January. I'll conclude it next Sunday night. But this morning's message, Routing Your Routine, is part of that Starting from Scratch series. We've we've talked about, uh, you remember, we talked about transitions and how that transition, such as the first of a year, is a good time to reevaluate where we stand, where we've been, where we're going, where we'd like to go. We talked about harnessing what you have. Don't try to be somebody else and, and want something that somebody else has. God has given you a unique set of skills, abilities, talents. He's given you access to him, and he wants access to you. Harness what you have to become what God wants you to be. We've talked about visioning, the importance of visioning, looking down the road and and painting a picture, a, a visual mental picture of where you believe God wants you to be. At the end of this year, at the end of next year, five years from now, ten years from now, get a picture of it. Do you know where you're headed? We've talked about obstacles for two weeks, that if you want to be effective in starting from scratch and effective in your spiritual life and effective in your life as God is leading you, the plan, accomplishing the plan that he has for you, you have to underestimate obstacles. Don't let obstacles get the best of you unless those obstacles, you conclude, are there to keep you from doing something wrong. It takes discernment to know which of those is true. Today we're going to talk about Uh, routine, the pros and cons of routine. And there is nobody, nobody who is a better person to look at in terms of his life than Jesus when it comes to the subject of what to do with the routine. He breaks all the molds. 
And because he does, uh, he provides for us uh, the perfect, perfect example. Luke chapter 10, beginning with verse 25, is one of a whole bunch of different scripture passages just in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John alone that teach us what Jesus did with routine. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? And he answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You've answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this, and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey and brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers. Jesus was a revolutionary teacher. His ideas shocked and frightened the people of his day. I have no doubt that if he were here with us today, he'd probably do the same thing. He would shock us by some of the things that he would stand up in a Baptist church and say. They wouldn't necessarily be the normal Baptist line or the normal uh, Christian in America line. Although some of the things he might say might go right down the line of what we have believed to be Christian. But for sure, Jesus shocked the religious establishment of his day and he would shock us today. I've often wondered, you probably have too, if Jesus were to be here today physically, where would he go to church on Sunday morning? Would it be contemporary or traditional? Or would it be Southern gospel? Some people said, oh, yeah, that's it. That's it right there. Or would he go to a place where they have no worship? Or would he go to a place where there's only worship? Where would he go? Would he go to a mega church or a little Methodist church out in the middle of nowhere that's white framed? They have 15 people on average there for attendance. Would he go there? What would Jesus do? Where would he go? I think... uh, I think that the answers to some of those questions might very much surprise us. A man has to be revolutionary to do some of the things he did. In Jesus' day, uh, there were people who were non-Jewish people. They were called Gentiles. And Jesus hung out with Gentiles. That was not something that uh, a Jewish man of his day normally would do. There was another group of people who were Uh, a mixed uh, breed of people. They were 
half Jewish and half Gentile, they were known as the Samaritans, and they were absolutely hated. Even worse, the Jewish folks hated the Samaritans worse than they did the Gentiles. In fact, the, the Samaritans normally lived in around the area of Samaria in the middle part of the country, and, and a, a devout Jew, if he was going from Jerusalem to Galilee, if he went the short route, would go right through Samaria, the land of the Samaritans, but a devout Jew wouldn't do that. He'd stop at the border, he'd cross the Jordan River, Outside of the, the borders of Samaria would go up the eastern part of the coast until he got to Galilee, and then he would come over, going all the way around his elbow to get to his thumb, just to avoid the Samaritans. Jesus uh, painted the Samaritans in a positive light. It'd take a revolutionary man to do that. In the days that Jesus lived, there were some Jewish people who, who decided, you know, I could make a lot of money if I get into cohorts with the Roman government and collect taxes on behalf of the Roman government. They were called publicans, tax collectors. And they were hated by everybody in Jesus' day because they were considered to be traitors. Jesus went home and ate with tax collectors and publicans. It took a revolutionary man to do that. Jesus' teaching and Jesus' actions were revolutionary. I mean, he hobnobbed with all types of people, all types of races, people of all different backgrounds, people who had, had uh, done well with their lives and people who had not done well at all. Jesus would hang out with all of them. And so he was a revolutionary. But he also had a routine that he quite often followed. When he would go into a town, the first, one of the first things he'd do is go to the synagogue. That was a routine. He would sit down and he would open up the scriptures, the Old Testament at that time were the scriptures they had. That was part of a routine. Jesus believed in going to the Jews first and then the Greeks, then the Gentiles. That was part of their routine. So Jesus had a routine that was shared by a lot of people. But on the other hand, he bucked that routine. Quite often thought outside the box and jumped, leapt outside of the box. He did a little of both. Sometimes he was quite unpredictable. And so he was in this particular passage. He is in a certain place and a man approaches him. Luke describes this man as an expert in the law. He's a law expert. Now this is Old Testament law. An expert approaches Jesus and he asks him, a, 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 an awesome question. Uh, it, arguably, it could be the best question that's ever been asked anybody. What must I do to inherit eternal life? That's a great question. The man was good in the question that he asked. It was a straightforward question. It called for a straightforward answer. He was a, a man of the law, uh, and, and no doubt, being an expert in the law, an analytical type person, he, he wanted a straightforward answer from Jesus in response to his straightforward and simple question. What must I do to inherit eternal life? And so I'm sure that he must have been disappointed when Jesus responded to his question with a question. Well, what is written in the law, he said. Don't you always hate that? You ask a question, a straightforward question, you want a straightforward answer, and somebody, what do they do? They ask you a question back. Oh, great. They've turned the tables. Jesus turned the tables on this man. Already, he's stepping outside of the box of what this man expected to be the framework of this conversation. 
And so the man said, well, uh, the law says you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. That's, that's uh, uh, part of the summary. The other is you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said, there you go. You answered right. Go do that. Yeah, but the man's still standing there. Do you see him still standing there? He's not satisfied. He hasn't had his, his tummy full of grits yet with the answer that Jesus gave him. That wasn't what he was asking for. And so you don't see him turn around going, oh, thank you very much, and heading back home. He's still standing there because the answer he got from Jesus, which started out as a question, is not the answer he wanted. Yeah, go and do likewise. And so he decides to pull a Jesus, and he responds to Jesus' answer with a question. I'm going to take control of this conversation again, and he tries to do it by asking this, well, who is my neighbor? You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Well, who is my neighbor? Again, it's a straightforward question. It calls for a straightforward answer. Surely Jesus is not going to do this time what he did the first time and answer a question with a question. He doesn't do that, but instead of giving a straightforward answer, what he does do, he answers with a story. Don't you hate that? Come on, man, just give me an answer. Well, let me tell you a story. There was this man who went down from Jericho, which is on a mountain, I mean from Jerusalem down to Jericho, Jerusalem's on a mountain, Jericho's in the valley. He went down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and as he's on his way, he got mugged by thieves who beat him, robbed him, and left him in the ditch half dead. And while his body was laying there, seemingly with life seeping out of him, three different characters happened by. The first one is a priest, but he's on his way to church. I mean, you know, the 9 o'clock service starts, and it's already 9.15, and he's late for church. And so he sees the guy over to the side, and he really has pity on him, but I got to be at church, man. And so he passes by on the other side. The second person was a Levite. A Levite was known throughout the Old Testament as a, as a priest, a heavily religious person. When God divvied out the land to the 12 tribes of Israel... He, he did not give land to the Levites. He says, he says, you are the priest of the Lord God, and that is your uh, gift. Now, he, he gave them some cities, but he didn't give them any land. There is no, there's no region within Israel that's known as Levite. You're entering the Levite territory. No, there wasn't anything like that. They were, they were priests. They were the religious folk. And when people saw them, they were dressed religiously. They, they, they looked religious. They looked pious. And Jesus said in his story that this Levite came by, and he saw him too. But, you know, first of all, uh, the man was dirty. The man, he, not sure if he's dead or not. And, you know, it's not... It's a Levite who touches a corpse, that makes him unclean. And so, you know, and I, he's had things to do, probably had somebody to counsel. And so he, 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 he went on by. Okay, so far so good. Now, the guy who's listening to this, this expert in the law, he doesn't really like so far what he's heard because he would think that the priest or the Levite would stop. I mean, you know, if a preacher's going to stop to help somebody, right? And so Jesus says... 
Then there came up a Samaritan. Oh, my gosh. And the Samaritan stopped, and he went over to see this man, and he washed him, and he bandaged his wounds, and he picked him up, and he put him on his own animal, and he carried him to a motel, a nice motel, five-star motel. This is not Motel 6. And he rents a room indefinitely, and he puts him in the room, and he tells the innkeeper, here's enough money to, to care for him and to provide for his room accommodations until I get back. Look after him. And then Jesus turned to, the, to the, the law expert after telling this story, and lo and behold, he asks the man a question. Now, which of those three men do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell. That's the question for us. You see, Jesus, uh, and there's so much that could be said about this passage. The point I want to make here in this passage is Jesus did not respond to this man in the normal inside-the-box way that one would have expected him to respond to him. This is so typical of Jesus. He, he, uh, he was willing to listen to the man, but he was outside the box in his response to the man. And yet everything he, he said to him was well within the realm of the law. And so he was both within and without the routine of his day. Jesus teaches us some things about routine. And routine is something that's very important if we want to uh, have effective lives, if we want to accomplish the plans that God has for each one of us. But Jesus' life shows us, I believe, some of the positive side of routine. There are five positive aspects of a routine. Some, some folks would expect me to say, our oh, routine is absolutely and totally terrible. Not necessarily so. A routine can be a really, really good thing. For one thing, a routine can serve as an anchor to ground our lives and simplify our lives. You know, we could change up worship every single Sunday so that you never knew what we were going to do. I'm talking about change up every single thing. Now, as it turns out, most of the time, although many of us may not really notice it or pay that much attention to it, there will be something a little bit different in every service from one Sunday to the next. But there is a pattern that we normally are a part of. But if we were to change everything every Sunday, and you came in here, most folks would not like it. We'd get all kinds of complaints. Because when you'd go to invite folks to come to church, and the people say, well, what is church like? Oh, heck, I don't know. Heck, I never know from one day to the next what they're going to do. They got some crazy people leading that church anyway. No, a routine grounds us. It simplifies us. It gives us something to hang our lives on to. I grew up in churches that had no order of worship, no set order of worship. And, and we didn't even have, uh, we had volunteers who led the singing. It was always Southern gospel and the preachers would get up and they had, they never followed an outline. It was always kind of hooping and hollering, which I don't really care for the hooping and hollering. But, and I wouldn't want to go back to an all Southern gospel worship, although I know some folks would. But you know what happens when I do go back home and I sit in one of those? services, and I'm listening to those songs, those, those shape note songs, I'm moved. 
I'm moved. What is it about it that moves me? It carries me back to my childhood. Nowadays, there's been this big trend. A lot of people going to mega churches or, or the latest cool church. But there's also a trend that I'm kind of glad of, and that is people coming back to their, to their roots because they desire something that's familiar, something that grounds their lives and that, that simplifies life. And it reminds them of simpler times. I don't know if it's true or not, but I'll tell you right now, the simplest times in my life were the times between, between when I was born and about 10. I look back on those days and I think, God, sometimes I wish I could go back to those days. Everything was perfect. I mean, it just seemed like nothing ever went wrong. We didn't have a whole lot. We were poor. We had to work hard, but it was just a great, simple time. Now, I know it wasn't as good as I remember it. But it was a routine that was familiar to me. Routine often requires uh, little effort because routine normally consists of habits that we constantly do. Now, if I do something for the first time, it's going to be a little hard. The second time, not quite as hard as the first time. Third time, not quite as hard as the first two times. Finally, after I make it a habit of several hundred times, maybe I will get the hang of it. I always get a little bit nervous at weddings, but I had a wedding uh, last Saturday. And uh, a guy came up to me I didn't know at the rehearsal. And he says, you ever get nervous at weddings? I said, well, I said, a little bit, but not much, not much. He said, how can you not? I said, well, I've done about 300 of them. I said, you know, once you do that many, I said, you'll, you'll have a little bit of a butterfly, but it's not going to be a whole lot. And I just kind of sit and watch the, the bride and the groom squirm. <laughs> you know, you know, uh, routine allows you to do something repetitively. Number three, following a routine increases our self-confidence. I don't know what you think about methods of preaching and so forth. The first time I preached, if you, if you were here to hear me the first time I preached, you would not come back. Some of you don't want to come back now. You would not want to come back because all I did was stand up and cry and spit and slur and nobody could tell what I was saying. And even those who could tell what I was saying, they wondered what I was saying. It was terrible. But over time, I had some guys who came along and they mentored me and they helped me. Dr. Harold Bryson, New Orleans Seminary, just a golden guy who helped me. And it increased my self-confidence the more I was able to do it. Routine helps us live more relaxed. And routines allow us to practice repetition, which in turn improves certain skills. I've been told by people who write well that if you aspire to be a writer, what you need to do is set aside a, a certain time, about an hour. You may want to start out 30 minutes, but 30 minutes to an hour every day. At the same time, at the same desk, using the same chair every day and write. One page. One page. You want to be a writer? Sit down at, at the same time every day, at the same place, same desk, same chair, and write one page every day. You know what will happen at the end of 365 days? You'll have a book that nobody wants to read. That's what you're going to have. But you will have a book. You will have a book. And if you get good, good at it over time, you're going to end up with 365 pages that somebody's going to glance at it one day and they say, man, this is some good stuff. This is good stuff. But it takes a routine of writing. Michelangelo, 
You ever go to some of those, those uh, wonderful cathedrals in Rome, Italy, and you look up on, the, on, the, on the, the, the ceiling and you think, wow, man, how in the world could somebody produce such tremendous works of art? And it would have never have, have happened had he not gotten up every single morning and gone out to the cathedral and climbed up the scaffolds and pulled out his paint and started working a little bit at a time, a little bit at a time, over most of his life. It was a routine that gave us those great works of art. There's a positive side to routine, but there's also a downside. Routine can become semi-automatic. That can be good, but can also be bad. And their very repetitiveness means that they can irritate other people. I don't know if you if you thought about this. You may have a routine that you do, and, it's, and, and that routine has become uh, just automatic, and you do it without any excellence, without any passion. And people around you, they are excited about passion and excited about excellence, and they look at you, and they're irritated at your routine. I know what you're thinking. I don't care what people think. There's a little bit of truth to uh, not being that worried by what people think. But on the other hand, what people think can help uh, hone our skills and make us better. One of the things I love about my staff here at church, we meet every week on most weeks. Uh, They sharpen me. But the other downside is a routine can be non-challenging. Let me tell you, here's what God wants to do. He has a goal for your life, but in order for you to reach that goal from time to time, he will have to stretch you beyond what you think you can do. And when we get into a routine that becomes automatic, so automatic that we don't even think twice about it, what happens is we lose the challenge. Nothing stretches us anymore. And that routine that doesn't bring a challenge becomes rigid. And that routine that becomes too rigid becomes a rut. And a rut becomes a trap. And a trap becomes boring. What do you do with your routine? How do you view it? Is your routine something that helps you become what God wants you to be? Or is your routine a rut that you are stuck in just like a, just like a tire stuck in deep, wet mud, not going anywhere? There were times when Jesus followed a routine And there were times when he stepped outside of the box of routine and he made his own path. Real effective life includes a mixture of the two. Knowing when a routine is helping you and knowing when when it's time to step out of the box and try something new, spontaneous, challenging, stretching. The question for us as we are going through some struggles and going through some transitions is this. What will we do with our routines? Let's pray.
Our Heavenly Father, we need discernment. We need discernment to know when a routine we're following is a help or a hindrance. We need discernment to know when we look at a certain routine that we're following, whether it has more cons than pros or pros than cons. Lord, we need discernment to know when is the right time and the right way to step outside of our normal conventional boxes and walk on ground we've never seen before. Lord, I remember one of the first times that I stepped out of a box was when I was eight years old and I realized that I was not a Christian because I had not given my heart to, the, to Jesus, to you, Lord. And I remember on a Sunday night in 1968, I took one step toward the altar area in the front and I went forward and gave my life to you. But that one step was one of the most uh, significant steps outside my conventional box. No doubt, Lord, there's somebody here who's not saved who needs to take that incredible step outside the box of lostness and into the realm of of being saved by receiving Christ. Others, Lord, in this place have concerns to pray about, decisions to make. Many of them so pivotal that they're like stepping outside of a box. There are others, Lord, who need to commit to a routine, a routine that helps them. A routine maybe of of worship, a routine of reading scripture, a routine of prayer, a routine of giving. So many decisions, so little time. Lord, help us to deal with our routines. In Jesus' name, amen.